You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. I first heard about Yu Peicheng, also known as General Yu, at the Taiwanese American Conference in July, where he was one of the most popular speakers. General Yu is a retired army general and now a Taoyuan city councilor. He ran as an independent in the November 2022 elections. I was able to interview General Yu when he was in New York with translation assistance from Winston Liao, and Mei-Ling Lin helped to translate General Yu's answers to my questions into English. Here's our interview. Could you tell me about your upbringing? Did you grow up in the Soldiers and Family Circle District, which is essentially a type of military family compound? My childhood background is not我是一般的軍工教的家庭長大因為我的父親是公務人員那麼後來父親過世的早我大概在六歲的時候父親就走了就過世了那麼就進入軍中國中畢業我就進入軍中大概那年我十五歲十五歲進入軍中那個年代大
I didn't grow up in the soldier circle because my father was a civil servant. My father passed away when I was six years old. In 1986, after junior high, I went to military school because it seemed like something new and curious to me, and I didn't need to pay any tuition. I never thought of saving the country because at the time, the country was very stable and felt free. But when I went to military school, I discovered many things were not as I, as a teenager, imagined. Your superior would ask you to join the Kuomintang. Then they would tell you, if you don't join the Kuomintang, then you cannot graduate and you cannot become a soldier. So at that time, I came to know what is the Kuomintang. It is a party that would try to rule me and all my actions, and they want total obedience to the party's leadership. In 1990, I graduated from military school. Suddenly, I wondered how come life at military school compared to civilian life was so different. And I didn't understand what happened to society, what people think or what people need. We were no longer fighting against the communists and trying to retrieve mainland China. So at that time, my way of thinking needed to change. My way of thinking changed to, we don't want to have war, only want peace. But I feel peace is not something you can just want. Peace depends on how much strength you have. It doesn't depend on China or whether or not China feels like giving it to you or if Taiwan tolerates China. But I think just tolerating China to get peace isn't a good way to deal with it. Peace depends on how much strength you have. So when it comes to training my soldiers, I'm very strict and I ask them to be very serious about training. Because if one day China attacks Taiwan, they can protect Taiwan's safety. Recently, the meaning of peace has changed. Most people have the wrong idea about peace, that it comes so easily that you don't have to fight for it. But in reality, to have peace, you need to have a lot of strength to get it. If soldiers continuously train and work hard, then you can achieve peace. So the first day I entered the military until 2015, about 30-something years to when I retired, everything changed so much. We became weak and don't have strength to face the enemy because people keep on thinking that peace is just like an everyday thing and that you are just born with it. The Taiwan Strait has had 70-some years of peace. It's because soldiers have had non-stop training to maintain our military power. So now, this responsibility has come to us, all of us Taiwanese. We shouldn't just think this is the government's duty. We should try to face it so we can get peace. Can you explain how it works in Taiwan when you retire from the military? If Taiwan goes to war, who can get called back to serve in the military? 像我今年五十五岁，在军中的呃管制到六十岁才正式的服役，不用不用不用再战争的时候征召入营。那现在我还有五年，那一般的士兵来讲是到四十六岁，四十六岁以前都必须要征召入营，重新来面对呃国家的
，我们的财产都在台湾。那么如果有一个丧心病狂，想要时时看着台湾是他碗里面的一块肉，那像这样的敌人，如果你不敢面对他，他真的会拿走。那么我们没有地方退了。如果不挺起胸膛面对他来上战场，面对中国的解放军，我们只有跳海了。我想没有人愿意跳海。那么与其被逼下海里面，还不如。勇敢的面对，所以这是呃四十六岁以前的年轻人必须要呃在作战的时候重新回到战场。那么一般的女生，还有一般的学生怎么办呢？我们会把它编成一般的辅助勤务团，就是在军队作战的时候，他们可以帮忙做一些救护，帮忙做一些交通管制，还有一些呃包含了水源呐、啊，或者甚至甚至做一些呃勤务方面啊，做是做勤务方面。让真正的作战的部队能够更专心的保卫国家，而他们就是尽他们的心力来做一些勤务支援，还有协助伤患救护的工作。所以应该是全民国防，我们没有到全民皆兵，像以色列是全民皆兵，我们没有，是全民国防。每一个人会战斗的就战斗，不能够战斗作战的，那就是出力来协助，让整个国防能够更完善。I can give you an example. I'm 55 years old this year. I was a four-star general when I retired from the army. In times of war, Taiwan can ask someone of a general's rank back until you are the age of 60. After the age of 60, in case of a war, you don't need to go fight. So for me, I still have five years in which I could be ordered by the government to go back to fight. For all other kinds of soldiers, the age limit is 46 years old. Up to the age of 46, if the country has a war, they have to go back to fight. So it means, for the general rank, 60 years old is the age you no longer need to serve, and for the regular soldier, it's 46 years. Now I'm often being asked if China attacked Taiwan, do you think that young people would be willing to go to war? Actually, this is not about being willing or not willing. It's a you have to go. A long time ago, the military retreated from China to Amoy, then retreated to Jinan. Then, after that, they retreated to Taiwan. If today China came to attack Taiwan, the question is: Should or shouldn't you go to fight and protect Taiwan? All of our family, all of our property, are all in Taiwan. We don't have anywhere to go. If you don't fight, are you just going to jump in the ocean to kill yourself? Or do you want to just bravely face the enemy? So young people, before reaching 46 years old, they must go back to war. And females and students could be organized to become a civilian service group to help the army to fight. For example, medical assistance, transportation management, protecting water resources, or other kinds of services. In this case, soldiers can concentrate on fighting, and those civilian groups. Can just back up the military. So in my mind, even during times of peace, civilians need to organize and train these kinds of service groups. It's not like Israel, where the whole country's people have to join the army. But we should do our best to help soldiers to fight. People who don't know how to fight, if they are supporting our soldiers, then our military can do their job better. There have been reports of Taiwanese soldiers. Who have been invited to China and given favors and opportunities? Can you comment on that? What kind of offers have been made to soldiers, and have any of these ever been made to you? 
。呃，其实中国对于台湾的军人一直都是用呃欺骗的方式，一用收买的方式，然后用仇恨的方式来鼓励你不要服从台湾的政府，因为台湾的政府是讲自由民主的，而中国是讲暴政，是讲专制的，所以他希望透过这种欺骗的方式。让你误认为中国很自由，误认为中国很富有，然后觉得台湾很糟糕，觉得台湾的政府是一个蛮横不讲理的政府，所以用欺骗的方式。那其实主要的目的就是希望你在作战的时候不要接受政府的作战征召，不要入营，然后都排斥政府的所有的的这个命令，这是他最希望的。因为这样子，中国要打台湾就很容易了，所有会作战的人都。不征召入营，所有能够作战的人都不拿枪。那呃，他们用的方式呢，就是第一个，请你去旅游，请你去呃看一看以前在广州的黄埔军校，说这是你的根。那我一直在在改变这个想法，就是我们的根在台湾凤山，我是中华民国陆军官校毕业的。至于广州的黄埔军校，我没有念过一天，我也没有去过，我也不想去。因为那不是我的学校，我的学校就在台湾凤山，那么就是呃，中国就利用黄埔军校在大陆在中国的那块土地，变成一个呃欺骗你，把你诱导去，然后你觉得哇，我原来我是中国人，我我我不是台湾人，那这一些现在谎言慢慢被大家解开了。那我有没有被引诱过？有，中国也讲过说，我有常常在做 YouTube， 我在做 YouTube 的影片。嗯，在台湾你订阅就是十几二十万而已，你如果到中国去，随便一订就是几百万，你的收入可以翻涨好几倍。那我给他们的答案是，我宁可爱国家超过爱金钱。君子爱财啊，那谁不愿意，谁不喜欢钱？但是喜欢钱不能背叛国家，这就是我最大的底线。所以我当然是断然的拒绝他们。那有没有人被他们收买？我相信一定有，但是这些人下场不会好。等到你的利用的价值消失了，就是他把你给踢到一边，把你给推开的时间。所以最大的价值、最多的金钱，我觉得不能比上对于台湾的热爱，对于国家的热爱。爱国家是无价的，这是我一直不能改变心中的一个中心思想。As a matter of fact, China towards Taiwan soldiers always uses some kind of tactic like deceiving or bribing you. Inciting hatred and disobedience against Taiwan's government. Taiwan is a democratic and free country, and China is a totalitarian government. So when they use lots of different ways, like deceitfulness, or going through certain kinds of channels, to tell you that China is a free and democratic and rich country, and then they somehow give you fake news to brainwash you to think Taiwan is really terrible and has an unreasonable government. And their purpose is to make Taiwan think, when the war comes, the Taiwanese will refuse to join the army and disobey the government's orders. So in this case, when the war comes, lots of people don't want to go to war to fight. So China thinks this will make it easy to attack Taiwan, because if all those soldiers who know how to use weapons don't come out, then it will be very easy to take over Taiwan. How do they do this? First, they give you lots of favors, and they invite you to go to China, give you a free trip for a visit. They especially like you to go to the Guangzhou Huangpu Military School, and they tell you to take a look, and they tell you that you know these are your roots, right? 
Because those old soldiers, actually, they were trained at that school, like Chiang Kai-shek. And Chiang Kai-shek used to be a Huanghu military school's president. But I always think my roots are in Taiwan. I always tell people I'm from Fengshan's military school. I graduated from there. I never wanted to go to Guangzhou's Huangfu military school. And I will never go there because I didn't spend any days in that school. That is not my school. My school is in Taiwan. The Chinese government always uses China's Huangfu military school to lure soldiers there. And they make you think, I am Chinese. I'm not Taiwanese. Gradually, people realize this is a lie. Of course, when China contacted me and tried to seduce me into being recruited, because I have a YouTube channel in Taiwan, they told me that when you're in Taiwan, you only maybe have 100 to 200,000 subscribers. But when you come to China, instantly, you could have millions of subscribers. So you can more than double your income. But I always tell them that I love my country. I don't want only money. Everybody loves money. Who doesn't? But when you got money, even if you love money so much, you still cannot betray your country. This is my biggest bottom line. I refuse them many, many times. Then, if we talk about, is anybody being bribed? Yes, they are. But what I think is those people are not going to have a good end result. When they use you, and when they find out you are no longer of any use to them, they will kick you out. I think a person who has good judgment and values would be loyal to their country. I love Taiwan. Loving my country has no price tag. This is always in my mind, and I will never change it. I also asked General Yu about the case of Hong Zhongchu, which happened in 2013. Hong Zhongchu was a 24-year-old military conscript who died of heat stroke after he was ordered to perform strenuous exercise drills as punishment. He was only three days away from completing his compulsory military service. The incident sparked protests in Taiwan, and in March of 2014, the Taoyuan District Court found 13 military officials guilty of abuse of power. Could you share your thoughts on what happened in the case of Hong Zhongchu? Also, I believe you were asked to step in and handle the situation at the time, because there were a lot of protests that happened then. Can you talk about how you handled it and what changes you made? Okay, uh, Hong Zhongchu, this case, is the 军事检察官的制度给取消了国军的管教有很多的意见很多班长可能对他很凶啊或者年轻的时候他被人家做了不合理的训练所以这些人上了街头让国防部很头痛那在当时我被指派去接这个单位的时候因为我一直在这个单位从基层的军官做到这个中级
我我愿意回到这个部队，把这个部队重新整顿，整顿也不敢说，应该是说跟他们一起面对这个问题。那么当时呃，总统派定我到这边的时候，当然我也因为这样而占了将军的这个职缺，也也升了少将。但是我告诉所有的领导阶层，甚至陆军总司令，我说我不是来这里升官的，我是把这个部队救回来的。如果救得回来，那我会在完成任务的时候，我会告诉你会离开军中。如果没有救回来，立刻叫我走，因为我没有办法达成任务。那么我是用什么方法救回来的呢？我就是在整个部队里面训练的时候非常严格，我绝对是严格训练。但是在休息的时候就放掉军人的束缚，你该要休息的、该要吃饭的、该要呃运动的，我都完全让他们有充分的空间跟自由来发挥。那么这一些士兵，他们感受是非常非常直接的。例如说吃饭的时候，我不会再有一个长官，这个军官桌或是将军桌都是的长官吃饭，我把它全部打散，就跟在这个素食店一样。好，在素食店有一桌一桌的，有位置就坐，然后把这个餐盘盛满，装了菜就直接坐着吃。那么让。军人呃，军官跟士兵的距离拉近，大家之间不会有那么大的隔阂。那么之间没有什么隔阂之后，那么团结力就增加了。所以也就在我到任两年以后，整个部队无论在重大的演习，无论是在呃重大的训练方面，都得到了很好的成绩。所以呃，我也履行我的诺言，就是这个单位让我重新整理回来，大家都共同努力之后。也就是我离开军中的时候，所以我也就在升了将军两年之后，我就直接抱歉退伍，回到社会，呃，追求我另外一份想要追求的目标。The Hong Zhong Chu incident had a big impact on Taiwanese soldiers because they changed the military investigator system. They canceled it, but recently, during the Hong Kong military drills, they found that the military prosecution is very important. So they started to use the system again. It's because when the war comes, all the prosecutors need to become military prosecutors, because during the war there needs to be some rule of law provided, and so a military prosecutor's position becomes very important. In 2013, the death of Hong Zhongchu had happened. Also, a lot of young people had different opinions about military training. Because lots of their superiors had also treated them harshly, and asked them to do some unreasonable training. So at that time, lots of people took to the street to protest, and the military department felt it was a headache and didn't know how to handle the situation. So I was appointed to this military department, and because I was with these troops since I served as a low rank to middle rank officer, when I heard this tragic thing happened and that very critical moment. I thought, I feel that I have a mission. I want to go back to restart and correct all the mistakes and make these troops better again. So if I can go back to the troops and face all the problems to solve the problem, I think this is my mission. So when the president asked me to go there, I needed to become a general. So then I was promoted to a four-star general. That's why I became a general in order to lead these troops and to reform them. When I went back to these troops, I told my superior, all of my other same-rank generals, I told them, I didn't come here just because I want to become a general. I came here to help reform the troops. If I save them, I think that my mission is complete. Then I will retire from the army. 
If I cannot do my job, you can ask me to leave right away. It means I couldn't finish my mission. So when training the troops, I'm very, very serious about training them. During recess, when they need to relax, I would tell all the soldiers, you just relax and have a good rest. And you don't need to burden yourself. Just forget about everything, relax and do whatever you like. So when you need to rest, just rest. At mealtime, just eat whatever you like. When they want to play sports or exercise, I let them do what they want. So the soldiers right away felt more satisfied. And for example, the most important thing I did was, before when we eat, there was always a table only for the generals or higher superiors to sit there, and their meals were much better than other soldiers. I thought this was not right. So what I did was make it like a buffet style and made lots and lots of tables. And I told the soldiers, when you get all of your food, you just come back to sit wherever you want and don't care about who you sit with. In that case, everyone can be friends and there are no boundaries between soldiers and their superiors. It's because of no boundaries that everyone was able to cooperate better together. And after two years, all of the troops somehow under my leadership, they became very efficient. And after every training exercise, they always performed well. I think I kept my promise. After two years, I think I trained them well. So after two years, after I became a general, I applied for retirement and I went back to the society. I wanted to have another new goal for my life. And now it's time for a short break. Talking Taiwan is an independent and listener-supported podcast, and our two-person team is committed to producing meaningful content for you. We just started publishing our interviews on YouTube so that more people can discover us, and we've already heard from our listeners that it's easier for them to watch and listen to Talking Taiwan on YouTube. We could always use additional support as we continue to make improvements like this. In fact, any donations that you make right now will be doubled as a part of our matching donor campaign. We are so close to our goal. To make a contribution to Talking Taiwan, you can go find us on GoFundMe.com or visit our website at TalkingTaiwan forward slash support. Now, back to our episode. A year later, in 2014, the Sunflower Movement happened. During the Sunflower Movement, Activists occupied Taiwan's legislative yuan for over three weeks in order to protest the passing of the Cross-Strait Service Trade Agreement, which was a treaty between Taiwan and China. What impact did the movement have on you? 当时太阳花学运，我的想法就是服务贸易的问题。呃，中国有十四亿人口，而且现在他们的工作的情况，谋职并没有那么顺利。但是当时我我觉得是好事，我当时觉得是好事，就是。可以让两千三百万台湾的人民也可以到大陆去工作，这何乐不为？可是慢慢我发现了，这是包着毒药的外衣，他就用用糖果包着毒药，想让你吞下去。因为其实当中国十四亿人找不到工作的时候，那他的
绝大多数中国的控制言论的方式，让台湾的人民感受到呃被劳工威胁的感觉，因为劳工绝对比老板多。当老板被劳工呃束缚的时候，那么台湾的整个文化就改变。所以呃，当时我觉得太阳花学运怎么这么无聊？可是现在我发现一件事，当时还还有这群年轻人挡住了这个服务贸易。否则，这个服务贸易大笔让台湾跟大陆互相之间没有任何的限制，这样交流的话，呃，对于台湾的民主，还有对于台湾的劳工生态会产生大的影响。所以最近有人主张要重新谈判服贸，我觉得这些太阳花学运时代的人现在都已经三十几或是四十岁了，他们心中一定会想，当年我花了这么大的努力阻挡了这件事，而现在却有人为了要选举重新来谈这件事。呃，甚至当时他也是反对服务贸易的太阳花学院的一员。那么，呃，我觉得政治是服务政、服务众人的，是服务大家的，千万不要为了想要获得政治的利益而改变了当时你对于台湾、对于两千三百万人的承诺。所以，我觉得太阳花学院虽然会过去，可是这一段坚持民主、坚持台湾贸易上面能够获得充分的保护。我觉得这一点绝对不能随着太阳花学运的落幕而改变，因为台湾只有一个，不能再重来。When the sunflower movement happened, at that time I thought, oh, this is only talking about the question of the service and trade agreement. So in the beginning I thought it's a good thing because Taiwanese people can go to China to work. Why not? But later I gradually found out that this is just like poison with a sugar coating. When you swallow this candy, it's a poisoned candy that China wants you to swallow. China has 1.4 billion people, and so many unemployed people, poor working conditions, and standards. When they have so many people come to Taiwan to work, all of those things might get brought over to Taiwan. So they will change Taiwan's business culture and Taiwan's people's thinking. A lot of people just say, "Let them come to Taiwan and enjoy Taiwan's freedom and democracy." But you have to know that China's workers cannot change their way of thinking because their families are all hostages in China. They cannot go through a democratic way to change the way they think. On the other hand, because lots of Chinese work in Taiwan, they will use Chinese ways to control Taiwan's freedom of speech, and the Taiwanese people will feel that so many Chinese workers. In Taiwan is a big threat. The owners will be outnumbered by Chinese workers, so the owners will be controlled by the Chinese workers, and that may change Taiwan's work culture. Taiwan's culture will be facing a crisis. At the beginning, I thought, why do those students try to stop the service and trade pact? But more and more, I discovered one thing: we are lucky to have these young students to stop this service and trade agreement. Or else there would be uncontrolled exchanges between Taiwan and China. I think Taiwan's democracy and labor would be greatly impacted. So recently, some people are saying they want to rethink the service and trade agreement, and that maybe we should renegotiate that. And I feel that 10 years ago, those young people who were against the service and trade agreement and demonstrated against it are now 30 or 40 years old. They must be thinking why. Ten years ago, they fought so hard through so much adversity to stop the service and trade agreement. And why? Because of the presidential election, are people starting to talk about these things? And this person at that time was against the service and trade agreement. 
He was a supporter of the Sunflower Movement. It is so regrettable that it's because of his political benefit, so he changed his promise to the Taiwanese people. Now the Sunflower Movement is over, and Taiwan's democracy has been secured, and the service and trade agreement has been stopped. But we can't lose this momentum and change this. We only have one Taiwan. Just because the Sunflower Movement is over, we cannot redo the Surface and Trade Agreement or repeat what happened. What are your thoughts on the Kuomintang, and how do you think they need to change? Uh, 其实我在国民党当时我待了三十七年才离开国民党我觉得国民党在党务组织包含了民意代表的产生他们也拒绝了只剩下民进党一个党那谁来牵制如果一个党独大那又回到了当年国民党时代这也不是好事所以我衷心的期盼如果国民党真的在肌肉不正一直弱下去那么台湾一定要产生第二个力量能够来制衡这个党这个党是
all of my efforts, and I really wanted to change the Kuomintang to solve the aging problem and to get more young people to join the Kuomintang. But in the end, I lost. I failed. Because the Kuomintang, they don't want to change their structure, and they don't want to change the future direction between Taiwan and China. The Kuomintang, they think that the 1992 consensus is like their Bible. What is the 1992 consensus? Here's what Taipei Times columnist Michael Turton had to say about it. According to the KMT, the 1992 consensus was something that the KMT and the PRC representatives reached in a meeting in Hong Kong in 1992. So the KMT says that the two sides agreed to disagree, basically. That, that each side would have its, would agree that Taiwan was part of China, but they would disagree on what China Taiwan was part of. And so that's the position that the KMT has presented to the public for the last, uh, since the 2000 election, when it became an issue. We will have Michael back on in next week's episode to talk more about the 1992 consensus. But I think it needs to be changed. But they think we cannot touch it. It's taboo to touch it. I feel the Kuomintang Party organization is problematic, including when they want to choose their legislators or local representatives. They always think whoever is already in a position has the right to run again first. That's not a very democratic way of doing things. They should use votes or polls to decide who to represent the Kuomintang to run. But the Kuomintang doesn't agree with this idea. And the Kuomintang has a so-called Wangwu Dangbu, a veterans party within it. It seems like a party within the party. I suggested that the Kuomintang make the Veterans Party become a committee, but whatever I suggested to change, they refused, and they don't know how to deal with my suggestions. So in the end, they couldn't solve the problem, so they revoked my membership and asked me to leave, so I left the Kuomintang. But I learned something. Taiwan needs two parties to be balanced. If the Kuomintang continues to be weak and not change, I'm worried the Kuomintang will disappear right before my eyes. If the Kuomintang disappears, then Taiwan needs to have another party to have a balance. But I don't know which party it will be. But, no matter what, we need two parties to have a balance and to have a civilized democratic competition. It's not just the consensus of country, the country's consensus. That's only one thing. We have to protect Taiwan. We can never change that. And under consensus for Taiwan's protection, you can talk about economics or other political issues like how to make diplomatic relationships with other countries, but it has to be under the consensus that Taiwan is a country. But then I see the Kuomintang's presidential candidate, Ho Yi, say he'll respect the 1992 consensus and that he would obey the 1992 consensus. I wonder how the Kuomintang can change. They cannot change. Then I think it's very sad and it's a big, big failure for the Kuomintang. I sincerely hope that we have more elections and that Taiwan will have two real parties under a one-country consensus, meaning Taiwan first. If the Kuomintang disappears, then Taiwan's democracy may not be so normal because nobody can have checks and balances. It's not that I dislike the Kuomintang, it's just because the Kuomintang, they don't want to change. But if the Kuomintang can't fit into Taiwan's democracy, they will disappear. 
I'd like to ask you about your work with a veterans group and how one of your responsibilities was to quote-unquote help the veterans to vote. <笑>其实因为黄复兴党部都是从中国过来的一些老兵退伍以后就在党的里面接受党的一些任务指派所以当我去接主委的时候这些老兵可能都已经八十岁以上超过八十岁了那么他们的行动没有那么的自在所以变
I told them that you don't need to say that. You just tell them whoever they think is right, then just vote for them. Because of my actions, some older veterans called me and very angrily told me, why didn't you just tell them to vote for so-and-so? I told them, let them choose whoever they think is good. Then they just vote for them. And later on, I say, okay, I give them two numbers to choose. The older veterans got very angry with me and said, you can only say one number. Don't say two numbers. They are very naive. And I always feel so sorry for them. Because what a pity they live in Taiwan for so long. They never really enjoyed Taiwan's real democracy and freedom. And the way they are doing things is not real democracy. This happened when I was the director, or I always wanted to change that. But they are not happy with me. They kicked me out. I hope that all Taiwan's parties will become more democratic and that Taiwan's political system can be more functional and that is a real democracy. When did your identity shift from being Chinese to Taiwanese? 中国人是我们一直觉得，因为我的父母亲都是从中国来的，在一九四九年那个时候到中国来，所以很自然而然的就是他告诉你我们是中国人。那我们从小就认为我们是中国人，但是我始终没有去过中国，我到现在我也不想
Oh, I'm Taiwanese. Why I'm Taiwanese? So I always tell people, I just say, for example, one Washington apple seed growing on Taiwan's high mountain, you would not say that is a Washington apple. You'd say this is a high mountain Taiwan apple. And I am a Shandong seed, came to Taiwan and became an adult. So everything I have today, including my wife, children, all my friends, it's come from Taiwan. Whatever I have, it came from Taiwan. So if you ask me, where are you from? I'm very proud to say I'm Taiwanese. I've been speaking to General Yu, a retired Army General and now a Taoyuan City Councilor. This interview would not have been possible without the help of J.C. Chen, Su Ko, and Winston Liao. And a very special thanks to Mei Lin, my mother, for her help not only with translation of the interview, but for her assistance with research and preparation for this episode. Now it's time for you to show us some love. We just found out that you can rate us on Spotify. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Audible, leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.